My name's Stephen, and it's uh, my privilege to be taking us through the next part of our series of We Are Emmanuel. And this is our sermon series really about ourselves, which is a bit funny, isn't it? Maybe sounds a bit self-indulgent. Maybe you're a guest here thinking, oh, well, this church think a lot of themselves. They're going to preach about themselves for a, for a whole term. Well, yes, we do. We think a lot of ourselves because God thinks a lot of us as well. And uh, God loves his church. He absolutely loves it. And uh, I, do, I want you to know I love this church with all my heart, with absolute uh, passion. I love being able to stand and worship together uh, here this morning and uh, greeting different ones, hearing different people's stories. It's just such a, an amazing privilege. And uh, it's great to then look at what is the church? Who are we? Why do we exist? What are some of the values that we hold dear? So that's what this series has been about. And so the first week we looked at, why do we exist? And we exist to help people find their way back to God. That's the mission that God's given us. God has brought us to himself, help us find him, and now he's asking us to join him and help others find him as well. And uh, then we've been looking at our values. The first value we looked at was Jesus leads the church. We looked at the fact that the Bible is final, it's our authority in which we stand on, that our first call is to pray, to connect with God in that way, and uh, that God also gives us leaders that follow, that can then be followed. So that was the first value. second value we looked at that we finished last week was everything changes except the gospel. Taking the good news that Jesus has given us, the fact that he came to uh, die in our place, receive the punishment for our sin, that we might then be free, now that gospel, that good news, we stand upon it and uh, it never changes. In fact, we must make sure it never changes, never gets polluted or shifted or even begins to morph at all. That it's been sent, is now centuries old and uh, in a, a century's time, it will still be the same as when it first began. We must stay the same. But the cultures in which that gospel finds itself, either in different places or different times in history, changes how we communicate it, changes how we build the church around it. The message never changes, but everything else must so that we can contextualize it. And we looked a lot about that last week. But today, we're moving on to a new value. The next value is play as team. And so we've got a little byline kind of goes with it. It says, however great I am, I get to be part of something greater. In case you don't know me, let me tell you about myself. I'm great. (laughs) And you know what? You are also great. But together we are greater. That's what the Bible tells us. It talks about the fact that we are to have a personal relationship with Jesus, but it's not a private one. A personal relationship where we connect with God, but when we connect with God, we're brought into a family, into a community, into an army, into a body, into a nation that is God's. It's not just us and him, it's us and along with all the family of believers, both locally and universally and all through time as well. We are brought into something that's far bigger than ourselves. That we might worship and love God together, but also that we might go on mission to help other people find their way back to him as well. The church is so wonderful and so beautiful. And I just want to preach to you this morning and hopefully you'll catch some of that. And you might be thinking, well, of course, Stephen, you love the church. You work for it. And uh, they pay your wages. And uh, just in case you don't remember my role, I lead one of the sites. I lead the race course site. Yes. And uh, I also get to oversee all the children's and youth work across the uh, sites as well. That's part of my role. Uh, But 
if you uh, have ever turned something you love into something that is then a job for you, you'll know that's the quickest way to start unloving something. And so when you start having to do admin and to deal with the difficult conversations and bits and pieces, that quickly could kill your love for something. And uh, I want to tell you that being on staff of the church at times is problematic, but I still love it with all my heart. I love this church because God loves it and has added me to it. And I hopefully you'll grab some of that for yourself this morning. Whether you're a believer or if you're not a believer, you're not part of this church, as you look in, you'll find that actually God loves his church and he's calling you to join him and join his church. And we're going to do that this morning from Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27. And it says this, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that you are at work in the world. Thank you you didn't stay far off, uh, Lord God, but you came to inhabit the earth, to come and do life uh, with people, that you might connect with them and uh, bring them into your family. And I thank you that many of us have discovered that just the great joy of that for ourselves and that not just were added to you, but also added to your family. And we now get to do life with others, do mission with others, Lord God. And, and at times it's difficult and hard, but we know, God, it's the thing you've called us to. And ultimately it's the place that we're uh, to find our purpose and satisfaction. And so God, I pray as I preach this morning, help us to grow Grab a hold of that vision afresh, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so Paul in this verse, he's saying that we're to live in a certain way. That the gospel is all about what God has done, not about what we do, but what God has done. There's nothing we can do to earn our place in his family. It's all by what he did at the cross, what he has won for us. But once he's done that, there is a response that comes from our heart. There's a, there's a manner in which we live in response to this amazing gospel, in, in response to what he has done. Let me give you an example. And uh, we're talking about players' team today, so I feel like I've got carte blanche to talk about the Olympics as many times as I want. So feel free to count how many Olympic analogies there are this morning. So the first one is, if you were a US fan, if you were a fan of the Olympics and you were part of the US in the stands and you were down at the bottom of the slope during the half pipe and you watched Chloe Kim win gold medal for the team USA, then when she crossed the line, she won an amazing victory. She did some great double backflips and other things and spinny stuff and uh, great acrobatics and when she crossed the line she got the most points and she won and uh, she went crazy but then it kind of the camera pans across and team USA they know how to celebrate a victory you know they're like chest pumps like yes and high-fiving and the cheer is going crazy like yes we won and you look at thinking no you didn't Chloe Kim, she won. But of course they feel such a sense of like no no but she's part of us we're part of her our team has won when Jesus won a victory for us, we didn't do anything. We literally did nothing to add to it. And all we did was add our sin. But he won a great victory. But the reality is the people of God, we get to celebrate that now. We get to get together and worship. God, thank you so much. Your praise will ever be on my lips for the thing that you have done. And I'll just share this personally, but just privately between me and you, Jesus. But I want to share with everyone else who's also sharing that victory. The nation of God, not Team USA, Team JC, Team Team Jesus. We want to celebrate this. This is a wonderful thing. Now, the analogy breaks down because really in the church, we then get to join Jesus and what he's doing. We get to strap on a snowboard and go down the half pipe too. 
Some of you are thinking, yes. Some are thinking, no. And uh, we get to join Jesus in what he's doing on the earth. This kind of togetherness can be quite countercultural. You ask me, watch the Olympics and think, yeah, we're part of Team GB or maybe whatever nation you're from. You think, oh yeah, I feel a kind of sense of solidarity of those athletes. And as a society, we celebrate collaboration and community, all those kind of buzzwords. But really at the root of our society, if you really dig deep, or you know, sometimes you don't have to dig that deep, we celebrate the individual far more. That we herald the centrality of the individual. And so we've got to be careful as a church that we don't let that creep into our church community. We don't let that creep into who we are. Because actually we're called to be together, to be one mind and one heart, like Paul was talking about. Unified in faith and striving together with the mission that Jesus has given us. So today we're going to look at a few points around that. We're going to look at not going solo. The fact that we're better together, that we each have a place in God's church. A place to love and obey him and that we should all strive together for his mission. So let's look at my first point. I want you to know, as I was looking about loving the church and being part of it, I had about 20,000 billion points, but I'm only going to do five. Okay, so just be pleased, it's only five. So the first one is, don't go solo. There was recently a BBC article uh, based on a report by the um, Office of National Statistics. Office of National Statistics, they sound like a fun bunch. And uh, it was an article about a report they'd done about UK households and the shifting kind of changes as a result of the 2011 census and other data they'd gathered since then that showed that now in the UK, 28% of households are made up of just one person. Well, just one person in those households now. Just a growing number of people who are just living by themselves. And along with the article, there was an interactive map where you go into different postcode areas and find out where the most single people were. So maybe if you're single and looking to mingle, that could be something that would help you in your pursuit of a partner. And uh, you'll be pleased to know that Brighton Hove is in the top 10. So if you're single looking to mingle, you are in the right place. And uh, in one sense, it doesn't surprise me. Kind of Brighton is often the forefront of where our culture is going. And that Brighton celebrates the individual, kind of celebrates that sense of autonomy and independence. Brightonians and Hove and Shore and I, people who live in those kind of places, we're not about conforming, are we, or, or committing to something. We love flexibility and mobility and freedom. And those are the things we, we value, thinking as you pursue those things, kind of Brighton's gospel would be, if you pursue those things, that's where you'll find satisfaction. And that's where you'll find fulfillment. And I just want to say that's not true. That's not true. And what I'm not saying, I'm not saying that freedom's not good. Freedom's very good. And uh, achieving civil liberties is really important and should be celebrated. It's great to celebrate 100 years since the women got the vote this year. And actually since that point, lots of other people groups have got it as well. And lots of other civil, civil liberties have moved on. There's still work to be done in that way as well. We want every, every person in society to feel liberty, to have freedom, to be who they are, to have a freedom in terms of political view, in who they worship or don't worship. We don't want to form laws around those things, but to give freedom to people, that is important. But when freedom becomes an end in itself, it can become problematic. In fact, it can become downright unhealthy. At least unhealthy levels of individualism and independence, where personal freedoms become the deciding factor for all of life. The comments like, I'm free to do whatever I want as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else. That would be a kind of common thought in our society. 
And uh, we see it just shouted from all kinds of culture in our films and stories, in songs, classic songs like, I did it my way. That's a bit of an old one. Let me give you more of an up-to-date one. All the women independent, throw your hands up at me. So, whether it's from the king of pop or the queen of pop, the reality is independence is screaming from us. Be your own person. Do things your own way. That's not what the Bible says. That's not what the Bible says. And actually, if you just kind of rationalize it, it doesn't make sense anyway. Independence and freedom, personal freedom, is actually a bit of a myth. Western people like to think of themselves as mainly the product of their own decisions and choices. That is not the case. Each of us are the products of our family and community. People have invested massive amounts of time and energy and love in you. Much of it before you even remember or could talk or walk. You do have shared responsibility to others and for others. We don't really just belong to ourselves. I said that's the case as a child, but that case will come again at the end of our lives as well. As we get into old age, we have to rely on other people as our bodies fade. We are dependent on others and also other points in our life. Maybe as you suffer some kind of illness, you have to rely on others. We can be so quick, we're not any of those categories to think that we are self-sufficient, that our lives are our own. But our reality is we are inherently dependent on others and subject to forces and circumstances beyond our control. Our, ma- our lives are massively limited and full of tensions. Olympic analogy number two. You are free to pursue becoming an Olympian. You can say, you know what? I really want to be at the next Winter Olympics. You know what? You are really free to go and pursue that. Maybe that's one of your dreams. Maybe another one of your dreams is to this year get as many sleep-ins as you can and as try as many different types of chocolate cake as you can. I want to tell you, those are competing freedoms. If you want to be an Olympic athlete, you also can't pursue as many sleep-ins this year as you want. You can't pursue as many chocolate cakes as you want this year. Now, if you want to have, pursue the freedom of being an Olympic athlete, then you're going to have to constrain yourselves. You would have to uh, submit yourself to a training regime, maybe into a coach who would tell you what you can and can't do, what you can and can't eat, and what time you'd have to get up. So the reality is we can't have any freedoms we want. No, we have to pick and choose the decisions that we have to take. As Christians, we understand this at an even deeper level. As Christians, we understand that we are dependent. Every person is dependent. Dependent for our very existence. The breath in our lungs, the planet on which we stand, the sun with which we receive light and warmth. All these things and incalculable other things that we have for life, all the things that we need, are all provided by and sustained by God. All people are therefore dependent upon God. Some people like us may be aware of it, others maybe not so much. As Christians, we know that we are dependent upon God for our very existence. And also, we're dependent for our salvation, our relationship with him, for our eternity. They all come from Jesus as a gift. I did nothing to save myself. Jesus did that alone. I'm dependent upon him. The Bible describes this dependency in lots of ways, but the one we're going to talk about a lot this morning is about the fact that the church is a body. And Jesus is the head. He's the head of that body. And we are vitally connected to him. 
We are parts of the body connected to him. And uh, when a body part is no, clon- no longer connected to the body, it's a grotesque thing. It's the thing of horror films. I don't know whether you are aware of the Adams Family films. There's a character, and I say character in inverted commas, um, called uh, Thing. And it's just a hand that kind of is part of the film and kind of has its own kind of consciousness. But it's a bit weird and a bit dark, really. When, when a body part is separate from the body and separate from the head, it's not right. It's unnatural. The way we're made is to be vitally linked to Jesus, to the head, to be dependent upon him. My own personal story is I spent a period of my life not dependent upon Jesus. I removed myself from the church, removed myself from God. I actually removed myself from my own family uh, as I was growing up. I started pursuing freedoms that I wanted. Actually, I don't want to submit myself to these things anymore. I want to pursue certain things. I want to pursue finance and kind of a sense of personal control over my destiny. And again, it was a bit of a myth, really. Because what happened is those things started controlling me, controlling my decisions, controlling my thought life, controlling my passions. Those are the things I sought hard after. It's only when I saw the, the foolishness behind them, as God graciously actually showed me the foolishness in them and led me back to himself, that I realized, actually, God, I just surrender those things. I surrender my life and choose to make you Lord. And I choose to say, I'm going to give up my freedom and follow you. That's where I found true freedom. And I found that the verse to be true from Matthew 16, when Jesus says, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. When we give up our personal freedoms and say, God, thank you for welcoming me into your family. I choose to make you Lord. We see that when people go into the baptism pool, they're saying, making a declaration saying, I'm choosing to make Jesus Lord of my life. And there's no sense of like, oh, that's constraining. No, no, that's freeing. That's what you're made for. That's the purpose in which you'd be one for. It's been wonderful. I've heard many stories in the last couple of weeks, particularly, of people being helped back to God through this church who have then surrendered their lives to Jesus and found it to be the place of joy and freedom. So individual freedom, personal autonomy is therefore not our highest value. This becomes even more apparent, though, when we look at the life of Jesus. Jesus being our model for all things. He gave up his glory and became mortal, became a man, and he died for us. In Jesus, God says, I will give up my freedom. I will adjust to you. I will sacrifice for you. First, I will give up my glory and my immortality and in becoming human in the incarnation. I'll give up my freedom. Then I'll give up my freedom by giving up the light and the joy in my very life, by taking on your sin, on your guilt, your shame, your perversion, taking it all on. And then he was nailed fast across so he didn't even have the freedom of movement. He gave up his freedom. Why? For the love of the church, to win them to himself. And if you're a believer here, God's calling you to the same. Hey, don't pursue freedom for yourself. Don't pursue some kind of rigid independence. Instead, come into the church, come into the body, come into the family of God. Give up some personal freedom. Why? Because your first love must be me and then must be my body, the church. We're to follow his example, laying down our lives and our personal freedoms for something greater. So hopefully I've helped debunk some of our thinking about individualism, that the fact it's a bit of a myth. But let me do a better job of actually winning to you, winning you to the fact that being together is better. We are better together. It's what you're made for. It didn't just start this whole kind of way of thinking. It didn't start with Paul as he wrote to this church in Philippi, asking them to stand together, be of one faith, one mind. Now, this is actually right in the created order, right from the beginning of creation. 
If you flick in your Bibles right back to the first chapter, you'll read there the, the story of how God created the world and, his, uh, and the way he does things. And if you look at verse 27, it says this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Each one of us was created in God's image, which is, itself is like, wow, God, you've made us to reflect who you are. You and your eternal majesty and awesomeness, we're to reflect you. And one of the ways we reflect you is the fact that we're a them, because you are a them. God is a them. God is a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God and three persons. Uh, occasionally I like to just spin myself out, just try and work that out. God, how does that work? And every time I go to it, have a little daydream, I was like, I don't get any closer to working it out. It's a great mystery in Christianity. God cannot be put into a box. He's not totally understandable by us. Our minds are finite. Even the most clever person on earth can't wrap their head around God because God is infinitely complex and wonderful and beautiful and amazing and awesome. And the Trinity is just one of those things. Think about the Trinity. Think, God, but you're one. You said that you're, you're one. And we mustn't move from that. But you're also three. And we mustn't move from that either. I can't square those things. No, you can't. But you can enjoy it. And you can also reflect it. And we reflect it by being one body, but being many persons. Many persons. We are meant to reflect God by the fact that we are to live in community with each other. Being in team, being together, is part of honouring the way that God has designed us. We are an ultra-social species, created to be dependent on one another. If we don't live in the context of community, we quickly become stuck. Here's another Olympic analogy for you. The last Winter Olympics, curling got a lot of airtime. And uh, it's one of those things like, seriously, how is this even a sport? But if your nation is winning gold in it, it becomes like a national sport, a national treasure. And I love that it's kind of a, a Team GB thing now. Like curling, yes, when all the team are blazing just Scots. And uh, so, but as an English person, I'm like, yeah, I'm Scottish. Yeah, GB, come on, I can wear a kilt. Anyway, so the curling team. Curling, in case you've not seen it, is basically like bowling on ice. And uh, you have, instead of bowling balls, you get something called a curling stone. Little terminology for you here. And uh, they chuck it down the ice, and a team of guys on uh, kind of skates time, they have brooms from their kitchen. And they kind of brush in front of their stone to try and kind of get it to move in a certain way, warming up the ice a little bit, so that it smashes into another stone that moves it out of the way. Anyway, watch it. It's awesome. And... Uh, and there's a right context for that. The right context is to do it on a curling rink, an ice rink, essentially. The wrong context to do that would be my kitchen floor. <laughs> I have more than a few kids, and uh, my floor is sticky all the time. All the time. Every, after every breakfast, after every lunch, after dinner, because more food kind of goes, oh, oh, sorry about that. Just there's Cheerios and spilt milk and upside-down toast everywhere all the time. It is not the right context for curling. If you try to get a curling stone across my kitchen floor, it'll just go and get stuck. You can brush as much as you want, but it's going to get stuck. The right context for curling is on a curling rink where it can collide. For us to glide in life, for us to be who we're meant to be, we need to live in the right context. And the context is not in our own little bubbles, not in our own little world, but in the context of community. That's not just individually. I see people doing this in their marriages sometimes. They're like, no, I found everything I need in my spouse, in my husband, in my wife, or in my boyfriend or girlfriend. We're everything we need for each other now. And they can come introspective. Those kind of marriages come under, under problems. A marriage needs more than just each other. 
I see how people do it over their families. Oh, I've, got my, I've got my spouse now. I've got my little 2.4 kids. We're now a perfect unit. No, you need other people. It takes a community to raise a child. It takes a community for a marriage to be healthy. It takes a community for a person to be healthy in the right context. Um, I've just happened to read a lot about happiness recently for this particular sermon, but just generally anyway. And uh, there's lots of surveys about happiness. People want to know what's the key, what's the secret to it. So lots of very good scientific research is done on it. And uh, they all have a very common result. You read them, you find very common results for it. So this is one researcher called Hate, and writes this. Having community, having people to belong to, strengthens the immune system. It extends life more than even quitting smoking. It speeds recovery from surgery. It reduces the risk of depression and anxiety disorders. We need to interact and intertwine with others. We need the give and take. We need to belong. This person's not a Christian. If you read happiness stories time and time again, they say, you need to live in community and close community. And actually, a lot of them do surveys around the church community. And if you're a regular attender, regular Sunday attender in church, that means you go three out of four times, you have better health, better relationships, better sex life, better mental health. All those things are benefits just by living with people, just by doing life with people. How many of society's ailments could we cure just by doing life better with one another? We need other people. That's true for all of us. But it's also particular to the people of God. I want you to know there is a place for you in the church. I'm not saying from this preach, hey, just go and find friendships and make sure you've got a nice friendship group around you. I'm saying no, surround yourself by the people of God. There's a togetherness that is so important as part of the church. He wants you to hear, if you're a believer here, that you need to be in good fellowship with other believers and have unity and love for one another, a unity in faith, in your thinking and in mission. And that each of us is in danger if we don't stay knitted in, don't stay connected to this body. D.L. Moody, who was a famous preacher from the, uh, from the States uh, a couple of hundred years ago, uh, there's a story about him. He met up with uh, someone in, in, in a church who was actually kind of not really going to church at the time. And they were trying to make the point to this preacher saying, look, I, I'm a Christian. Jesus saved me. I've got a relationship with him. I know my sins are forgiven. I can read the Bible, Bible by myself at home. I don't need to connect. I don't need to be in a, a small group or that kind of stuff. And a DL Moody doesn't, doesn't answer him. But it's a cold night. And he just takes the tongs and removes a coal from the fire and just puts it by the edge of the fireplace. And as they watch it, the embers start to fade and grow cold. He doesn't really say anything. He just makes the point that if we're not in together, we're missing the benefit, mutual benefit of keeping each other warm, keeping each other burning, keeping us in the knowledge of Christ. And Joel, a couple of weeks ago, he spoke to us about making sure we've got sermons and stories and songs and sacraments, four S's. And we need those things. We need to do those things together to keep the gospel burning in our heads. We as people are so prone to forget, so prone to wonder. And kind of the truth just falls out of our heads sometimes. To stand in the truth of the gospel and who he is, to stand in faith, we need one another. We need one another. So returning to the analogy of, uh, kind of the body, uh, in Romans 12 it says this, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. We're all members of this body. 
Now, when we're coming into the body, it's not saying, okay, you've given up your individual freedoms. Now you come on, put the uniform on, do as you're told, you're all the same. Now you come in, and the wonderful thing is the, 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 the Church of Christ, the body, is full of diversity. We're different parts. Some are hands, some are ears, some are mouth, etc., etc. We've got different parts and different roles to play, and we want to celebrate one another. And it's important that you find your place in church. And Paul, as he talks about the body, he talks about some of the different, different kind of gifts that there are. He talks about prophecy, acts of service, teaching, encouragement, generosity and giving, leadership, acts of mercy. And that's just the list in Romans 12. There's other lists in other parts of the New Testament. And other gifts don't appear on any of those lists. The things that God has gifted you to be. Different passions, different skills, different abilities that you can bring to the table, that you can bring to the family of God. Christ is the head, we're the different parts. And we're to use our parts for the benefit of the whole body and to the worship of the head, Jesus, for his glory. So how do you work out where you fit? Well, you just got to try it out. That's how it works. When a child begins to walk and talk, you know, they're just trying to work it out. I've got a little one. And they're just working out their words. And often the words come out a bit wrong and funny. But you know what? They're just working out. They're working out how to speak, how to, how to be part of the family. Hey, you just got to work it out. And you might find, come in and find, hey, I'm flying. I, know, I found my fit. I, know, I love doing this particular thing and that kind of particular thing. Maybe around a while thinking, I've still not worked it out. That's okay. Stick around. You'll work it out. You'll find your place. We need each person doing their bit. This church is not about superstars. This, part, this church is the sum of its parts, and we need every part to play its part. On your phone, your phone screen is made up of lots of pixels that form the picture that you see. And so whether you're watching fun stuff on YouTube or taking pictures, making memories, that kind of stuff, you need all those pic pixels functioning. Having a notch out of it at one end is not necessarily all that helpful. But um, you need all the pixels functioning. One pixel may give some light, might give some color, but it doesn't bring the, bring the glory of the situation until they're all functioning. And you say, oh, I can enjoy this. Hey, we're all different pixels within the church, making up a picture that's going to reflect God. I uh, really enjoyed watching the i360 on the seafront uh, being built. And uh, me and my wife are on a kind of date night. I'd be like, oh, babe, we should go for a walk. She's like, oh, great, where are we going tonight? I was like, oh, I'd love to go for a walk along the seafront. She's like, are we just going to go and look at the big cranes again? I was like, yeah, it's so cool. And uh, I really, literally loved watching the bits arrive on ships and plonked on the, on, the, on the beach and then getting hoisted into position. And uh, it was wonderful to watch. But the real glory is in the finished article. The fact that it was a massive structure with all those bits working together. And I've been up and down it a couple of times now. It's when it all works together. When you might be great by yourself. It might be awesome by yourself. But when you come in, you work together with other people. Hey, we form something more wonderful and glorious. Something that functions for the glory of Christ. And I love music. And, uh, but one note on an instrument is, uh, is not that impressive. You know, just one piano, plonk doesn't mean much. When it's put together, lots of other notes and lots of other instruments working together in harmony, they produce something that can provoke all kinds of emotion, help us worship God. Well, we're to work together as the body of Christ, creating a wonderful harmony that brings worship to God. We've spent a lot of time as a church in recent years looking at people's strengths. You know, we can, you can spend a lot of time sometimes looking at your weaknesses, thinking, what am I not good at? What do I need to work on? And this church, we want to celebrate strengths. What is it you're, you're good at? What, is, what kind of shape has God made you to be? And where does that fit in church life? You know, yeah, we want to help us with our weaknesses. If you've got sin issues, yeah, we want to deal with that kind of stuff. But only because we want to accentuate what your God has made you to be. 
that you can be all that God has made you to be, that we might find a place where you can flourish. The church, us as a body, we need you. And you, you need the body. That's how it works. There's a mutualness about it. So in the Bible, it warns us against having a casual relationship with the church. It says this in Hebrews chapter 10. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Hey, that's a great start. How can we stir up one another to do this well? Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. In first century, when this was written, community spirit was much stronger. Community ties and, and coherency was much stronger than it is in our society, I would say. But even then, Paul spotted that some would wander away. They'd have a casual relationship with the church. They'd stop meeting together, both as a corporate kind of big Sunday meetings like this or any, any, and small groups and that kind of stuff. They'd stop meeting in homes. They'd wander away. They're saying, hey, that is not good for you and that's not good for the church. The reality is our culture can quickly distract us from what is important. Things like our kids' sporting activities. Needing a lion because a lion, not a lion, a sleep in. And uh, you need a sleep in. You're thinking, oh, I've had a busy week. I thought, oh, can I really get up for church? Or I need to get an early night. I'm not going to go this evening. That kind of stuff. You know, it can distract us thinking, no, no, this is the most important thing. Being with Jesus, with his people. Things like, oh, I've got to go and see family this weekend. You know what? You've got to alter your plans around being with the family of God. That is the most important thing. Our family ties to Jesus are actually stronger than our blood ties. Don't get me wrong. Our family ties on earth are really important. The Bible speaks about that. I'm not neglecting them. But actually we're thinking, no, being with the people of God on a regular basis is important. It should be a priority for us. It's not just about Sundays, it's about being added into a small group. We're now quite a way into our small groups this term, a kind of 10-week small group program. Maybe you're not signed up yet. You know, you can sign up today. We'd love to get you connected with people. You need to be in a place where you're worshipping, sitting under the word of God, taking communion with other believers. And I know I'm preaching to the converted because you're here. But maybe this is the first time you've been here this year. You know, you're, you're a bit sporadic at the moment. You're not feeling very connected. Well, I'm not trying to guilt trip you. I want to encourage you as a fellow member of the body saying, I need you. I need you to be here. You bring something to us as a church, as a body, as a family that we miss when you're not here. And you know what? You need us as well. Maybe you've not found your place yet. Or maybe you're struggling. Maybe even you've been hurt trying to connect before. You know what? Work it out today. Speak to someone and say, you know what, I want to connect. How can I do that better? Speak to a small leader or a friend you've got here or maybe even a site leader about it. Okay, let's move on to our fourth point. Love and obey. Being in union with fellow believers is also an opportunity for us to obey Jesus' commands. And Jesus says this. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love Jesus, hey, there's a sense where then you want to follow him into things he's calling you to do. And when you start reading about Jesus' teaching, uh, both that he gave himself when he was on the earth and the others that he gave through uh, his uh, apostles, his disciples, the term one another comes up an awful, an awful lot. Love one another, forgive one another, encourage one another, build one another up. And you can't one another if you're not with one another. You can only do that if you're actually in relationship with, another, with one another. And that doesn't mean, oh, once a term or once a year I see another Christian. No, doing life with one another. 
you know, I'm looking at my the job situation. I'm looking at my housing situation. Think, is this conducive? Does this really help me connect with other believers on a regular basis? If it doesn't, then I might need to reassess it. Might need to reassess: Is this the right church for you to be a part of? If it doesn't quite fit with your life, think, well, actually, this other church kind of it's, it's closer to me, or it fits my schedule, or, or people I'm connected with are already there. Maybe that's where I should be. You know, as a church leader, we'd be sad to see you go, but we actually want you to connect with believers on a regular basis. There's a better place to say, hey, go there instead. Not because we don't want you, but because we're so eager that you're connected in somewhere properly and not just in a casual way. Have you ever put your foot in your mouth with someone? Have you ever accidentally said something that's offended someone? My wife, uh, Emma, uh, she recently uh, had a message from a, a friend saying, part of a group message, saying, hey guys, check out this blog. And a few people had said nice things about the blog. Said, oh yeah, that's really helpful. This and, the other. and my wife had just been really honest, read the blog and was like, oh, it's a bit rubbish, doesn't really serve me, etc. Uh, thanks, but no thanks. And a couple of weeks later, as she, she was uh, just... I just stumbled upon the fact that the person who shared the blog is also the person who wrote the blog. And it was just like, oh, whoops. And so I had to go back and go, oh yeah, by the way, that blog's really good. And uh, actually, it's been really, it actually was helpful. She'd gone back and read it and actually think, actually, it was applicable to her. But it's a real foot-in-mouth moment. I want to tell you, if you as a Christian are living in a way where you've got a casual relationship to the church, or you badmouth the church, or just, just come as like, oh yeah, I can't even bother that kind of stuff. I want to say, you've got your foot royally in your mouth because Jesus loves his church. You can't say, Jesus, I love you, but they're not loving the bride of Christ. He loves it. If you said to me, Stephen, come out for dinner, don't bring that wife of yours, I'm not coming for dinner. She's precious to me. There's no one more precious to me than my wife, Emma. Love her to bits. That's how God feels toward the church, but on a whole infinite other level. If you love Jesus, you're saying you're a follower of him, then you've got to love his bride too. Get involved. Make it your home. Okay, let me finish by quickly saying this. I can say it quickly because I'm going to come back to it in a few weeks when we get to value number four, which is stay inspired. And so this fifth point is strive together. This being in together is not just for your benefit, not just for our benefit, but it's because there's something to do. There's something for us to do together. We're called to a fantastic mission. To help people find their way back to God. To help people's eternity be changed forever. That is a big calling on us. Striving together for the faith in the gospel. That's the way that Paul puts it. Why do we exist? We exist to help people find their way back to God. Last week I talked about winning people to God. There's nothing greater to do in your life. I saw the film Hacksaw Ridge and the film Dunkirk over Christmas. Two films about World War II. Both films that placard men and women who got involved for a cause. They signed up basically to suffer and most likely die for a cause. Why? Because they believed in it. They believed that it was right. Let me encourage you, sign up for the family of God. We've got the best cause of all time. You're joining men and women who down the centuries have given up thousands of pounds, voluntary hours, given up their own lives for the sake of building the church. Let me encourage you, do the same. It's the best thing you can give your life to. I saw a post on Facebook this week by a, woman, a lady called Jo Simmons. Jo Simmons used to be part of our church here. She's now part of our church, but in Amsterdam. Her and her husband went to plant a church there a few years back. And her post on Facebook this week said this. It said, we are no longer homeowners in the UK. Hashtag house hunting, hashtag Amsterdam adventure. They're so committed to building the church. They're like, we're going to get rid of our safety net in the UK. 
we're going to sell our property because we want to build the church in Amsterdam. We want to help people find their way back to God. We're going to remove some of our safety net because we are all in. We're not just going to move there. We're not just going to take our family there. We're not going to put our family in the schools. We're going to remove our ties from where we came from, cutting off that because we want the freedom to pursue God wholeheartedly. I'm so inspired by that. I'm like, yeah, you go, girl. Yes, Joe, you go for it. Let's stir each other up to good works. Let's encourage each other. Say, yes, get involved. Go wholeheartedly. Yes, being a small group means that you're going to be out a bit later and you're going to be a bit, tired, a bit more tired. So what? You've got, people, you've got gifts to give. You've got gifts to receive. You've got a Jesus to glorify and you've got a mission to be a part of. Let me pray for us. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, I love your church. I thank you for ever saving me and ever bringing me into it, Lord. God, I, Lord, I just thank you for my brothers and sisters that are here before me. Thank you you brought them in as well. And I pray, God, stir us up, Lord. God, help us to love your church as you love your church. And, and Lord, we know it's difficult at times, Lord. We're still sinners. We still rub, it, uh, rub each other up the wrong way, uh, Lord God. But we say, God, we're all in for this, Lord God. And when we're not, we say, God, help our faith. And I pray those who are on the fringes right now, either because they don't yet know you or they know you but don't yet know how to connect, Lord God, I pray make a way for them. I pray let them be courageous and start having the conversations about how they connect, can connect better, Lord God, that we might live all the more for your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.